Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Exodus chapter number 16. What a privilege it is to be here tonight. Uh, I have I have a habit of saying that, and uh, I, I I will I will digress enough to tell you that those words have more meaning for me now than they ever have. Sometime when it's appropriate, I will tell my story uh, from my perspective uh, when I feel like it's the right time to do so. Um, but I am thankful for life. Bishop, when I sat in that hospital bed afterwards, and after I found out what had happened, over my mind, because I was so overwhelmed with what could have happened, over my mind, I couldn't help but rehearse Jeremiah 29, 11. And I felt a, a sweet confirmation from the Lord that just kept saying, I know the plans I have for you to give you an expected end. And the end on that particular day was not the end the enemy wanted. And I, I hope I stand before you renewed tonight in life and spirit. Exodus 16, 11, thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. The Bible reads, And they took their journey from Aileen, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Aileen and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God. Now that's quite the statement right there, folks. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord. I think they were speaking out of their mind. In the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Look at those last two words. Because up until now, at the point of our reading, it's a little dramatic. All right, we can say that on the back side of the writing, we weren't there, but we know the story. We've read it from front to front to back. But would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. It's the statement of someone who's hungry. Maybe we should say they were hangry. Because this whole statement is based on, you brought us to the wilderness, there's no food here, we're going to die with hunger. I'm, I'm, Moses, you didn't bring me here to die because it's doctrinally unsound. You didn't bring me here to die because we're serving the wrong God. You didn't bring me here to die uh, because my sandals are going to give out and, and I'm going to get diseases in my feet and it's going to affect my bloodstream and I'm going to die. You brought me here to die and I'm going to die because I'm hungry. Are you, are you grasping early on just exactly how simplistic this is? And perhaps I could even go as far as to say how ridiculous it is. You brought us here, and the only thing you've got to complain about out of this entire journey and out of everything we know as readers of the story that God did for the Israelites in Egypt. And the one thing you're worried about dying from is hunger. Oh, help me, Jesus. The Lord heard my silent concern over the last 24 hours as I scanned this congregation tonight. We have no guests. And for tonight, I'm thankful for that. I have come with a mandate from God tonight over the last 24 hours to preach a message to this church. And I pray that the Lord will help me tonight. I want to minister to you on this topic, the undoing of the church. The undoing of the church. Would you lift your hands right now and ask the Lord to minister to us today? We need a move of his anointing tonight. Jesus, mighty name, I love you. You are the mighty God in Christ. You are he which was and is and is to come, the almighty God. And I need you tonight. 
I need your anointing. I need your strength. Order my steps and my speech tonight by the word and the spirit of God. Let there be no error in my mouth. Help me to say only that which would be to the edification of this body of believers. We give you praise for it in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. His name is Darwin Bedford. He declared himself to be an atheist messiah in 1999. The words that he uses to explain himself on his website are that he is a supreme anti-theist. He is an ambassador of reason, a destroyer of faith, and a spiritual reality therapist. He declared himself as an atheist deity. We understand tonight as apostolics in the study of the word of God that a deity is a god. He declared himself as an atheist deity in the year 2015. He runs an organization called UndoJesus.org. Bedford can be seen on his website holding a picket sign that reads, If Jesus returns, kill him again. Yet in the same breath, his mantra is that he loves people who claim to believe in Jesus as God. I've got a little bit of a problem with that tonight. Because you cannot declare in one breath, I love people. In another breath, declare, kill Jesus if he comes again. In the 1800s, there was another man named Darwin. His name was Charles Darwin. He was a preacher who got mad at God for the death of his daughter. And history records that he backslid. And in his bitterness, he denied the faith that he had once preached himself. In his anger at God, he decided to disprove that there was even a God at all. So he took up science in his studies to formulate a thesis. We know it today as the origin of the species. In this thesis, Darwin theorized that we came from monkeys, not God. This basis was all on what was called at that time and still today, soft science. Soft science means it is by observation only. There is no scientific fact to support it. It is simply a theory. I want you to hear that, students. Uh, elementary, grade school, high school, college. It is simply a theory. Yet, this theory is now still today the most popularized teaching on the creation or the evolution rather of mankind even though it is not supported by fact. Darwin was quoted in those days as saying if future science does not prove these things then I am wrong. My thesis is wrong. Now 100 years later science has studied every piece of Darwinism. Every step that he theorized has been disproven, but yet today they still declare the words of an old relic of a backslidden preacher in science class. It's still considered the most popular belief in the classroom today. Why? Why is that? The answer can be found given from an evolutionist quoted in the New York Times in the 1980s that said there is not one shred of evidence to back up the evolutionary theory. But I still choose to believe in evolution. Here's the key. Because I do not want to be held accountable to a deity. Now that's a mouthful. And that's something we should take to heart and understand loud and clear tonight. Because that is the spirit of this age. It's not that we're wrong that people aren't here. It's people choose their lifestyle based on the things that they want and do not want to do. We need not be sidetracked tonight by people who choose not to let God orchestrate their life. There's not one shred of evidence. An evolutionist said this. 
A man that supports that rotten doctrinal theory admits in the 1980s there's not one shred of evidence to support it, but I choose to believe it and follow it because I don't want to be held accountable. Now how selfish, how self-centered, and how pitiful is that? So I ask you a question and we dive real deep into the end of the pool fast tonight because all of this comes from simply, and this is what has my spirit stirred more than anything today, is not the man in the 1980s that admits it. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not the man in 2015 who somehow ridiculously self-proclaims himself to be an atheist deity and the leader of all those who want to kill Jesus Christ if he should come again. What bothers me about all of this is that evolutionism might not have ever existed as a theory if it had not been for a backslidden preacher. So I ask you the question tonight, rhetorically speaking, what would life be like today if Charles Darwin had not left the church? We would simply go to the zoo and view a monkey as just an animal. There would be no displays at the Creation Museum in East Kentucky about the differences between evolutionism and creation. There would be no advancement of theories that have no fact to support it. Let me ask another question. What separates you who are not committed to God in lifestyle and in action from the man quoted in the New York Times? Because you aren't allowing yourself to be accountable to a deity either. Help us tonight, Lord. We, we, we need a deliverance tonight from a spirit of apathy. We are on the verge of a as a church of going to sleep. We are, we, are on the, we are on the precipice of taking a nap on God when God is asking us to awaken in this hour because there are people who are lost and we are, we are sidetracked. We are distracted by our own actions. We are distracted by our own theories. We are distracted by the things that we're not doing but we know we should be doing and we're not allowing ourselves to be accountable to the God who wants us to do it. The forefront of the undoing of the church is an attitude of entitlement. It's the spirit of this age. All right, it's not just first apostolic church. But we cannot be like the proverbial ostrich and stick our head in the sand and ignore the things around us. What, what, what the spirit of the age has crept into this assembly. All right, I, I'm preaching to the local church tonight. And I'm doing this because I love you and because I felt like God ordained it. So if you don't like it, talk to Him. But I'm telling you, there's a spirit of entitlement that's crept in among us. That we believe we're entitled to things from God, but God's not entitled to anything from us. And that is the, that is the, the beginning of the end for the church. Because a church cannot sustain itself. A church cannot, you say, well, well, God can't do it. Why would he? Why would God sustain an empty building? I'm not, I'm not trying to be sarcastic tonight, but we don't need a millionaire to pay his tithes. No, we'll take it. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. But we don't need it. If the people of God obey his word. I've got to move on. Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. In a segment by Glenn Beck, he asserted there are four cultural trends that contribute to the entitlement movement in our society at large. One is the self-esteem movement. I want to be careful how I say this next statement because I, I, don't, want, I don't want to make the statement without, uh, well, I, don't, I really don't want to be misunderstood, but every time you grab this microphone, you risk that. But raising kids, listen to me, parents, raising kids with the you are special mantra is not healthy. 
don't close me out before you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying you shouldn't tell your child they're special. I'm not saying you shouldn't make your children feel special. What I am saying is when they fail and flop, you still tell them they did a good job. What I am saying is if they, if they go to singing tryouts and they can't sing to save their life and you tell them that they sound like the next Beyonce, you are doing them a disservice. I am a parent. I've had my day of raising a child, still raising a young adult. He thought I was going to do it, but I didn't. And I will tell you tonight, I am not telling you anything that I did not practice. Children need the truth. Yes, they need compassion. Yes, they need to feel special, but special laced with reality. Instead of the spirit of look at me because I'm good at everything, we should be teaching them that I'm a person of value that God created. And whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'll do. Whatever I'm skilled at by the hand of God is what I'll do. I can guarantee you, both his mother and myself, if Alex said uh, did something and he said, what do you think? If it wasn't good, we told him. And yeah, we had to do a little cleanup afterwards because it was a little bit of a shock. He didn't want to hear that. But he needed to hear that. But we're creating a culture of, of, of students and young adults coming up that are already in their 20s and 30s. And, and I don't know what the next generation is going to be like, Lord help us. But we're creating a culture of people that think they don't fail at anything. And then they come in the church and we're saying you got to be saved or you're going to hell. Can you see the divide? This is where participation awards have taken us. Not everybody needs a trophy. God's not going to give everybody a trophy. God's not sanctioning behavior that he does not support in his word. Self-esteem is not bad, but narcissism is, and we don't need to be teaching it. Celebrity culture, I move on. Celebrity culture, reality TV has ruined TV. It highlights dysfunctional people. It celebrates bad behavior. Rich people are portrayed as stupid and arrogant. Maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they're real. Maybe they're acting. I'm not really sure. Sometimes I can't tell the difference. But they're worshipped in our culture. That's the problem. The emerging media, number three, the growth of social media has altered reality for many people. Enhanced self-promotion. There are people taking selfies and posting them like there's no tomorrow, but they won't even look you in the eyes when you go to talk to them. It's a distorted reality. It offers a fake sense of who we are as opposed to who we present online. Technology is not bad, but it's like fire. It serves a good purpose, but it can be completely out of control, and it gets dangerous. The credit bubble. Our culture feeds on comparison. Not only in comparing ourselves to what others have, but also in getting it for ourselves even when we can't afford it. And look at the spirit behind it. I don't want it because I want it. I want it because you have it, and because you have it, I think I deserve it. It's dangerous to judge ourselves against what other people are. So there are five signs of entitlement I want to go through. I'm going to walk quickly tonight. Number, number one sign, and these are in no particular order, but the first one is I want it now. We live in a drive-through culture. And instant gratification is all we seek. So we don't have the desire or the tenacity to have patience with God. So we come in here and we don't repent. We don't follow the word. We still want healing. And when we don't get the healing as fast as we need to in a Sunday night worship service, we don't come back the next service. Because God must not have heard me. God may have heard you. His answer may have been no. But keep worshiping me anyway. Because my salvation is not based on my healing. 
My salvation is not based on your miracle. My salvation is based on redemption from my sins. And it's from that moment that God establishes my life, my footing on a rock, and He establishes everything I need to be, having nothing to do with my healing. And I don't mean that discompassionately tonight. I know there are people here who need healing. There's people in our, our midst that need a miracle, and our God is still well able. But we cannot tie our salvation to God's answer in that prayer. Number two, and Lord have mercy, this is a big one. They all big, I guess, but this one just, wow. I don't want to work for it. If you're an employer in the house, say amen. Why work when it can be given to you? I'm not talking about people who can't work. I'm talking about well-labeled, well-intentioned, well people who can. Because most of the people who can't try anyway. And if the people who could would try as hard as the ones who physically can't, everybody would have a job. Well, that wasn't spiritual, but thank you for clapping. I don't want to work for it. It promotes a cycle of laziness and poor work ethic. What's that got to do with the church? It has everything to do with the church. It has everything to do with the church. Let me just announce a work day in seven days. Let's go to number three. I don't have to clean up my mess. Third sign of entitlement. I want it now, I don't want to work for it, and I don't have to clean up my own mess. Life is messy, no doubt about it. But this is about responsible living. If you make a mess, you clean it up. That's what we taught our son. I've always tried to be the kind of dad that didn't tell too many stories. But I've got one. It's a small one. It's not big. My dad, I love him. I love him to death, but he, he told stories on me all my entire life. It's a good thing I was an extrovert and I could handle it because if he was preaching, there was a story coming, and it was always about me. Why couldn't he tell it about the other brother? Alex has always, not now, but up through growing up, struggled to want friends to come over or want to do something without talking to his mother and I first. And our house rule has always been, whether you agree with this or not, God bless you, this was the Mason house rule. You don't invite guests over without talking to the king and queen first. So I don't remember how old he was. It was, it was, pre, it was definitely before teen years. Not that he didn't do it then, but he still struggled. And we still gave him the same answers. We were consistent, thank the Lord. And finally, we got past it now that he's 19. <laughs> but at some point, as, as a little boy, I can remember him coming and saying, that, and I don't even remember who it was, but he had invited somebody over to spend the night, spend some time together. And we said, uh, you did what? And the answer was... No. But I've already told them. Then you go fix your mess. And in the process, you don't make us look like the bad guys. This is your fault. You tell them you broke the rules. You knew what you were supposed to do, and you didn't do it. The answer is no. Clean up your own mess. We need to stop bringing our mess to the church and expecting the church to fix your mess. Pastor touched on it this morning. Put your own hands on your problem. This is not always about needing the pastor or the ministry or the teachers or whoever to put their hands on your problem because he's absolute, he hit the nail on the head this morning in the spirit. There are absolutely times that we have put our hand on your problem when you're not even ready to get rid of your problem. What good is it doing? 
It's of no value for me to pray for you to, to uh, well, I don't know what, but to get rid of whatever problem you've got touching Jesus, and he's standing there thinking, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. All right, I'll give you, not in this church. I was growing up in my, my father's church. Yes, it's in Kentucky, but that has nothing to do with it. Just want to get that out of the way. We had a, we had a man in that church. I was friends with his son. Bad back. Freddie, you know what that's like. He had a severely bad back. We had a healing service. Bishop, people were getting healed. Somebody nudged him, I guess his wife, nudged him. said, you need to go get your healing. She said, I can't. Well, why not? I'll lose my check. Now, this was 30 years ago. That's worse today. Today, he would have got on Facebook and bragged about it. That's the, that's the spirit that has changed. I can't. I'll lose my check from the state, and I'll have to go get a job. Now, the other side of the story was he worked anyway and took cash and never paid taxes or tithe. What good would it have done to pray for him and say, God, I rebuke this bad back, heal him in Jesus' name? It's a good prayer. All the elements of prayer are there. The authority of the name of Jesus is there. But what good would it have done if he's standing there the whole time saying, Lord, I don't want to be healed? If you don't want it, if you can't clean up your own mess, why should God clean it up for you? Let's move on. Number four. I want it because everyone else has it. In our culture, this has brought on people not wanting to feel left out, especially in the American society. I am not anti-American, but there's a whole lot of things I can tell you about how lazy Americans are, and it's embarrassing. On a global perspective, it's, it's sometimes embarrassing to travel to another country and present an American passport. Because we're more worried about having what our neighbor has than we are working for what we need. Many people don't want something because they're interested in it, but because someone else has it. And that spirit, if we're not careful, will come into the church. Well, they got healed. Why can't I? This is not a competition. You've got a question like that, talk to God. Or they just bought a new car. Everybody gets new car-itis. Well, I want a new car. Well, maybe you didn't work as hard as they did. I told you I was glad we didn't have guests tonight. But I, I am feeling a, a spiritual boldness tonight. And I, I'm trying to pace myself because the last thing I want to come across as is rude or, or uncaring. But I'm telling you, we need to wake up. We, we, need, we need to stop comparing ourselves to the person across the pew. And we need to get to the place where that we're not trying to seek after what everybody else has because we don't know, we don't know why God blessed them. Maybe God blessed them because they bless Him. Number five, I expect you to fix all of my problems. Sign of entitlement. I've got a problem. That's our society today. If we're not careful, it'll come in here. And we're not bringing our problems to God, we're bringing it to the church. And we're saying, hey, if you don't like it, fix it. Not my job to fix it. We want to help our kids. Let me give you an example. We want to help our kids, but there's a fine line between helping and aiding bad behavior. If your child forgets their lunch every day, and you take it to them every day, 
there's not a reason for them to ever be responsible. That's not the child's fault. But they just inherited a behavior that when they turn 20, they won't be able to keep a job. Oh, I could spend an hour or two on that. I won't. Let me move on. We are living in an age of give me what I want, not what I've earned. And that is coming into the church. I don't earn salvation. It's given to me by grace. But that is not a blank check for me to get anything I want from God. And I cannot afford, we can ill afford as the people of God to fall into this ideology that we can come to church a few times a week and God's going to answer every prayer and God's going to do everything we want Him to do. Let me give you a reality check tonight. Some things in life just hurt. I'm not going to go to the doctor for every pain I have. I don't go to my mechanic for every single problem that occurs on my car. If I hear a noise, I think, oh, that was funny. That's weird. Hope it don't get worse. I'm not going to go seek out a mechanic and pay him X number of dollars an hour just to tell me uh, your, your car's just getting old. It's called wear and tear. And I don't want to hear a doctor look at me and say, uh, you're just getting old. <laughs> it's called wear and tear. As true as it may be, I don't want to hear it. I can figure that out myself. Nothing is free. There's always a price. God still blesses faithfulness. God still blesses consistency. And God will do for you after you've done all you can do for yourself. That's a good formula to follow. How has entitlement affected the church? People want healed by God, but they don't want to know Him. People want God's blessings, but they don't want to be a blessing. They want to refer to God when they die. But in spite of not living for Him, they expect heaven to become their destination. Come on, apostolics, we need to wake up today and understand that if the Bible spells out heaven and hell as the two destinations for my soul, I've got to live the way that God wants me to live or I am going to one or the other. People come to church, you may be seated, and want to fill God without worship. People want to feel God without an emotional or intellectual attachment. No different than a one-night stand. Make me feel good, but I don't want an investment in it. I don't want a relationship. Just let me feel good. Everybody doing all right? People want a church to go to. But they don't want to commit to the church so the church can depend on them for attendance, for volunteer work, and financial support. I knew it'd get quiet on that one. But if we ran this church as a profit business, we'd be in trouble. Because you can't run a business whenever you're not sure if any employees are going to show up to work. And we'll pay for all kinds of things. I, I'm honestly not on my soapbox tonight. This is the word of God. We'll pay for all kinds of things. And then we expect to have a church keep its doors open and us not pay a dime. Now, not only is that not the Bible way, not only is that contrary to what God said. Now, now hear me tonight because I want, I want to enunciate this very clearly. I do not care what your personal theology is. The Bible is very clear and very plain and I'm going to read it for you here in just a moment. There is no controversy about financial support to the church. It's black and white. You either do or you don't. It's that simple. Now let me ask you a question. It is rhetorical. I do not want an answer out loud. And I stress that because of the, the sensitive nature of it, especially. 
But why is it, and, and I, I usually try my absolute best to not make these type of references behind the pulpit, but since we are not live streaming yet, I feel comfortable to do it tonight. There will be a day that I'll have to figure out a different way to say this. But why, why do other churches, if, if, if you, let me predicate everything I'm about to say with this, saying this, if you believe that the apostolic doctrine is the word of God, and if you believe in repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost as our plan of salvation, and if you believe following the Bible doctrine of holiness is the right lifestyle to live, then why is it we can look at other churches that do not preach that? They have no Holy Ghost. They don't baptize in the right formula. They do not teach the Word of God, and they do not advocate that you read it yourself. They willy-nilly everything. I'm not trying to be rude. I just want to be plain. Nothing's wrong. Everybody feels good all the time. And if you've got something bad to talk about, don't bring it here. I'm not going to go through the name labels, but they are not apostolic and they are not Pentecostal, so take your pick because it's all of the above. They pay tithes. And it's no question about it. They pay tithes. They pay offerings. Let me speak to some of you that pay tithes but don't pay offerings. You're not in the book yet either. Because the Bible says that he, being God, loves a cheerful giver. And that verse is not talking about our tenth requirement because our tenth is an obligation. Our tithes is free will. I want to help advance the kingdom of God because I love God. Now I'm telling you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost. And I feel like I'm in the will of God with what I'm saying right now. They pay tithes. I, I had a boss one time that was a part of a particular organization, again, not apostolic, and he paid, count it now, three sets of 10% tithes to his church. Every one of them had a different meaning, and it was required of him as a member of the church. And he didn't question one word about it. He went there. He enjoyed it. He, he loved worshiping God there. So he shelled out a check for 10% this, a check for 10% that, and a check for 10% this, and he lived on the seventh. And he gave offerings. We get enamored by churches that are overflowing. We get enamored by Facebook videos and posts of churches who, who have great attendance and great facilities. Padded chairs instead of pews and lights and cameras and all of these things that are all great and I love every one of them. And we wonder sometimes why, why doesn't First Apostolic Church of Mount Carmel have that? It's not because we're a, a podunk group of hicks. It's not. That requires dependency. We must not be overtaken with the... See, you see, I hope you're following along with the vein of thought here because that's entitlement in its purest form. You who are giving, you all go ahead and sacrifice because you believe it so much, but I'm going to come and reap the rewards from it. It's cheap club membership. I'm not going to devote anything. I'm not going to invest any time into it, and I'm sure not going to invest. You, you, you want to know what somebody believes in? You look at where they write their checks. Now, that's not me saying that. Financial experts say that. If you were to go to a financial advisor, they'll, they'll tell you very plain spokenly, I'll tell you what you're interested in in your lifestyle that you live based on where you spend your money. What an indictment to the church it would be to go in and have a financial advisor say, I'm going to tell you what type of lifestyle you live and where your interests lie based on your spending habits, and they don't find one spending habit to the church. And we tell them, well, I go to the apostolic church. I believe in the Holy Ghost. What an indictment that would be. We must not be overtaken with the age of entitlement. It's a spirit. It's a nasty spirit. It, it'll convince you that God owes you something. 
God doesn't owe us anything. I'm thankful for what we get. I am thankful and I have gratitude tonight for the blessings of God. But we don't have those because God owes them to us. We have them because we're saved by grace. We worship in faith. We offer sacrifice of praise. And we give financially without any expectation of return. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you, you, want, you want to know why I think? why One reason, one reason. It may be one of many, but one reason, Bishop. You want to know one reason why I think I woke up on the surgery table? Why God chose to, to open up the vocal cords and say, let him live? It's because I gave. Because every return on my investment in the kingdom of God does not come back to me financially. All he said was that he would rebuke the devourer for my sake. And when the devourer come in, I feel the Holy Ghost now, and said, I'm going to take his life, God said, uh-uh, he's a giver. No, not, not on my watch, because he pays his tithes. He rebuked the devourer for my sake. I didn't have a financial gain for it. What I had was life. Let me tell you something. I am thankful today for the blessings of Almighty God. And we will have the beginning of the undoing of the church if we allow a spirit of this age to come into this facility that says, I don't have to do anything but let God give me everything I want. Children of Israel were whining and complaining because things were not going as they expected. So what was their solution? Watch it now. We read it. I'm hungry. I'm starving. Whose fault is it? It's the church. Moses and Aaron were the leaders. Aaron was the high priest. Moses was the spokesperson. The pastor, the shepherd. Representing the church in tabernacle days. Whose fault is it? It's the church. Moses and Aaron, it's your fault. You brought us out here to die hangry. I mean hungry. Entitlement breeds an attitude of high self-worth and selfishness. It's me-centric, me-first behavior that is toxic to the child of God. Now I know and understand something tonight. Please understand this. I know... I like my time. I like my time with my family. I know we had some people, we had some leaders out this morning, an annual event planned. What I'm about to say has nothing to do with that. Please, please know that. Vacations are great. I love them. If you take a vacation every week, you misunderstand the value of the vacation. You can have too much of a good thing where the sanctity of it is lost and then it just becomes a lifestyle. And that's a lifestyle that most of us can ill afford to have because it takes God out of the equation. Let me move on. I'm 43 minutes and 13 seconds. Hallelujah. Exodus 16 and 4 says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. This is after they've declared it's the church's fault. The Lord talks to Moses and says, All right, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate. We could talk about that tonight, but we don't have time. Every day. That I may prove them whether they were walking my law or no. Malachi 3.10, told you we was going to get there, says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove, everybody say prove, me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. It doesn't say anything about financial blessing. So if you're going to give, 
give without expectation of return. But God will still fulfill his word. Allow me to reflect yet again on something Pastor said within the last week when he referred to Pastor Paul Poole's message, Misunderstanding the Mercies of God. I don't, I, think, I don't think you were here. But he referred to that message. And the message in and of itself was about this one very important fact. You may be blessed, and, and I'm speaking to people tonight who may be blessed, and you may not be living up to the standards of the Word of God that I'm preaching to you tonight. But let me declare to you, flat-footed and bold tonight, that that does not make this Word of no effect. That means God has applied His mercy to you. How long are you going to allow that mercy to run until you figure out that the Word of God is true? What will it take for God to remove the umbrella of His provision? And then we say, oh God, I don't know how you could do this to me. God's not doing anything to you. You did it to yourself. Because as long, uh, David talks about it under the shadow of the Almighty, as long as I'm following Him, I've got protection. But when I'm not following Him, I'm not guaranteed that protection. And if you have that protection tonight, and if you have those financial provisions in your life, and you're not giving, that's fine. God bless you. But let me tell you something tonight. It is going to run out either now or later. And that's, that's not a threat. I'm just telling you the Word of God. This is real. And if we believe the Holy Ghost is real, then we need to believe Malachi 3.10 is real. Because you can't separate the two. When we start separating, the Bible says that the word of God is of no private interpretation. And that's exactly what we're guilty of doing whenever we will take one piece of the word of God and say, I believe that, I'm going to live it, but I don't believe that, so I'm not supporting it. We are self-interpreting what we want to choose, and that is entitlement. Because we're so cheap, we don't want to let go of 10%. So we'll end up spending 40 or 50%. At some point later, when God removes his umbrella of provision and says, okay, now you're on your own. Like the mother eagle that kicks the eaglet out of the nest, fly or die, you're on your own. I'm not saving you. He will rebuke. You see, if, if, you're, if you're not following the word of God, you don't have someone standing between you and the devourer. Three weeks ago, I needed a God-man between me and the devourer. I needed someone. While I was under the power of anesthetic, Brother Zach, I didn't know what was going on. I needed someone to stand between me and, and the devourer and say, not today. Brother Fred, I know what would have happened if I hadn't had that. Lord, help us today. In Exodus 16, 4, the Hebrew word for prove is nasah, which means prove. How many times has God proven himself faithful to you? He had already proven himself to Israel, but yet again, see, here's the comparison. He's proving to them again, mercifully. Malachi 3.10, the Hebrew word for prove is bachan, which means to examine or to investigate. It's a different function of the word prove. The reason why uh, we, we, I, don't, I don't want to Hebrewize you and I don't expect you to remember the pronunciation or anything like that, but we need to really dive deeper than what we just see because the Bible was not written in English. We gain, a, we gain a deeper level of understanding when you break the words down. And, and, and the two verses do not mean the same. In Exodus, God is proving himself. And in Malachi, God's telling us to prove him. There's a difference. Because when God's proving himself, it don't require anything from me. All I have to do is show up. But when God says, you prove me, that, 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 that requires an action on my part to do something. What am I going to prove? What am I going to do? I'm going to have to focus on what God's requirement is. And God's requirement of me in Malachi 3.10 is to bring my tenth to 
to the storehouse. This is the storehouse. I'm moving off of the subject of tithes now. You can loosen up just a little bit. But we need to be focused more on what we can do for God than on what God can do for us. It is the undoing of the church, ladies and gentlemen, whenever we live a one-sided relationship with God. But I am afraid tonight that the reason why we live one-sided relationships with God is because we live one-sided relationships in life. Our needs will be met while attending to the needs and desires of God. God cares about what we need. Matter of fact, God cares about what we want. I've got a car sitting in the driveway at home that uh, I wanted from the time I was a little boy. And there's a whole lot of things I could have done along the way to sacrifice Brother Terry to get that car. It's a tad pricier than a Chevy Chevette. Some time ago, Bishop, if I had wanted to, I could have sacrificed my giving. If you bother to add up your tithes and your offerings, if you're giving them, it's substantial. If you want to look at it from just a dollar and cents perspective, if you want to not consider the spiritual part or the biblical part, and you just want to look at dollars and cents, yes, it's good money there. That's why we have to check our motive. I was raised this way and I have believed it since I can remember. But my, my family, my wife and I, and we, we've been this way our entire married life that I know of. But our goal has, has always been, when I am up for a promotion, the first thing on our mind is we get to give more money to the church. Now, we don't go around bragging about that. We don't go around talking about how much that, that could have been a dime. Who knows? But whatever the increase was, hey, that's an opportunity to give more to the church. That's an opportunity to bless the church more. Why? Because I understand the fundamentals of giving. If I bless God, he will bless. I don't do it for this, but I know in rebuking the devourer, he's standing before me, I know that when I bless him, he will bless me. He cares about the small things. So a door opened up four and a half years ago for that car. I didn't have to sacrifice my giving. I didn't have to take anything away from my family. Nothing. Why? Is God going to always do that? No, and he may never do it for me again. I don't know, but I'm just telling you he cares about the small things. I didn't need that car. I needed a car. It didn't have to be that car. God opened the door, and I said, Hallelujah. Why wouldn't you? God cares about the small thing. The small thing for you may not be a car. Maybe your children's health. I know that's not a small thing as a parent. but It may be your lawnmower working. Or maybe it broke and you need another one and you can't afford one. Here comes the neighbor over to mow your yard. That's never happened for me, but if it happens for you, God bless you. I don't feel entitlement to that. How can we expect God to lead us besides still waters when we're in perpetual motion? Always moving around, doing something, figuring things out. Sometimes he just wants us to be still. Think on the things that are of God. I'm going to land the plane here real fast. Naming and claiming something as the will of God does not make it the will of God. If we truly want the will of God in our lives, if we truly want the will of God in our lives, we need to get around to the verse that says, Nevertheless, not my will. Thy will be done. Entitlement will destroy whatever it comes in contact with. It's like a disease. Imagine, if you will, 
and, and I'm really trying hard to get off this giving subject, but it's necessary. Imagine, if you will, if everyone who gave in this church stopped giving. I spent time on those who don't give. Let me spend time on those who do. God bless you. Thank you for your obedience to Scripture. But let's all of us collectively imagine what would happen. What would happen realistically? This message is about the undoing of the church tonight. What would happen if everyone who gave decided to hold their money in their wallet and purse? It'd be the end of the church. Because we live in the 21st century, and it takes money to exist. You're not dealing with TV evangelists telling you, send me a check for some seeds. You're not dealing with TV evangelists who have homes all across the nation and all the cars in the garage that they want to have because of all the money they've scalped from people. And if you're given to that mess, you need to pray through it. And if you're given to that mess and you're not given to your local church, you need to pray through twice. Just for good measure. Because that's not of God. You're dealing with people in your community that you know. And we are very transparent with you at any time you want to know, but we are very transparent with you on an annual basis if you bother to show up. At a business meeting where we open up books and we tell you this is what's happened for the last 12 months. You can't, I, I've been in multiple churches. This is not the only church I've ever been a part of. And I can tell you tonight with, with, with confidence based on those that I have observed, you cannot get any, more, any greater level of transparency than you get here. If we tell you stuff, we don't even have to tell you. And that, that aggravates the daylights out of me, just to be honest. Because I help run a multi-million dollar business. And whenever it comes to a board meeting report out, there's details we don't give there that we give here. And I think, good Lord, help us. Now, that was a soapbox moment. I'm off of it. In a blog titled 100 Most Important Life Choices, a list of the top choices were made. Interestingly, the first life choice is who you spend your time with. This plays into entitlement. Bear with me. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. I'm coming to a close. Musicians, come, please. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, we quote it a lot whenever it comes to dating relationships. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. Verse number 17 says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This verse is about more than just intimate relationships. It's about how we spend our time as Christians. And let me close with saying this tonight. If you spend your time with liars, you won't recognize the truth. If you spend your time with gossipers, you'll be telling their stories. If you spend your time with the self-righteous, your holiness will become your guide. How a person spends... We talked about how you write your checks is how you, how you live your life. How you spend your time is a good thermometer on your walk with God also. Stand with me tonight. God forbid tonight that this attitude would creep into the hearts and minds of this church. We do not need the undoing of the church. What do we need? Proverbs 23 and 12. I close with this tonight. It says, Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Here's the key. The undoing of the church lies within our behavior. I spent quite a bit of time on giving tonight, more than I had even planned to. But it's more than just giving. Because you can still, hear me now, you can give and still be lost. Because people who don't, do not even preach truth give. But they're not biblically saved. So what role, I ask you this question tonight, I want, I want, I want as many as they begin to play tonight, as many who are willing, I'm not going to entice you tonight 
or try to convince you or convict you, but if you are willing to come forward, I want you to approach this altar tonight in a, in a mind and a spirit of worship and prayer. And as I ask you this question, what role are you playing in the support of the church? Financial or unfinancial? Or are you leading the charge in the undoing of the church? Oh, let's lift our hands and love him right now. I love you, Jesus. I want to be what you've called me to be, Lord. We must remember that the church was not established to be a social club. We have a church because we have a great need, and that's to reach the lost of humanity. We were born in sin. We've lived in sin. We need to be redeemed by His blood. We need to stay saved, learn and grow. And we do that by having church. Are you the next Darwin Bedford? Are you the next Charles Darwin who's going to propagate anything against the church that they can out of backsliding? Or are you the next Apostle Paul? Are you the next missionary? Are you the next Sunday school teacher? Are you the next janitor? It lies in our behavior tonight. As they begin to play and to sing tonight, I want us to lift our hands and just begin to talk to the Lord. I've not come to condemn anyone, but I want the Spirit of the Lord to convict us tonight. We need a deliverance from apathy, from spiritual sleep, spiritual slumber, a spiritual I don't care attitude. We need to be serious-minded about what God has called us to be in this hour. I'm not, called to I'm, not, I'm not calling anybody's past mistakes to their memory tonight. The past is over. What we're worried about today is the future. What is the future state of First Apostolic Church? What is the future state of your spiritual living? So, so Brother Mason, I, I've grown. I've grown uh, over the last 12 months. That's great, but keep growing. Don't get comfortable with where you're at and assume that that's good enough. The moment we assume that we've made it as far as we need to make it, apathy will cause us to backslide and there'll be no tomorrow. Let's sing. I will be... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.